0: Alrighty, alrighty listeners, you have made it to the second portion of this month's podcast, the filmmaker portion, where we talk about a movie. And on this episode, Greg has chose the movie. Greg, what movie did you choose?
1: So this movie is called It's Such a Beautiful Day. It's an animated trilogy of short films that were made by this filmmaker Don Hertzfeld, who is most known for the short film Rejected. And basically what they're about is this character named Bill who is, like, a pencil stick character. Like, he's just, like, a very generic-looking sort of stick figure guy. And he's supposed to be, like, the everyman, but the movie slowly unveils that he has, like, this dark family history and essentially just, like, a genetic mental illness that is, like, debilitating for the brain and body. And it's never really explicitly stated what it is. Like, there are hints of it, like, dementia and like non-Hodgkins and other stuff like that but it's never like specifically said what it is but it really is more about like Bill's point of view as his brain is unraveling and his his life is basically collapsing and and like the it's it's really interesting because like the layout of the movie is it's I want to say vignettes in, in two different ways really vignettes where like there are little sequences that serve as narrative vignettes but then literally on the screen there are like little black circles that are showing different little loops or multiple items in the same shot without all of them being on one white background like it's it's very selective and like sort of piecemeal with its focus of attention on stuff so yeah like I said he made this short film rejected it's the uh if you don't recognize it from the title you might recognize the line my spoon is too big with a guy with a spoon that's too big and he's standing next to a Man in a banana costume, and then there's also another short where a man's anus is bleeding while uh, little cartoon creatures dance and sing and cheer. So you know, it it also ends in a cacophony of chaos and destruction. And uh, yeah, I think it's like a it's almost like a condensed nine minute version of the movie that we're gonna talk about in a way, kind of yeah. at least tonally and stylistically. It seems like if you watch Rejected first and then you watch. It's such a beautiful day. You're like, yeah, that makes sense. that's the same guy.
0: It's like a demo, right? Like a little palette Appet- appetizer.
1: Appetizer, yeah. yeah. There you go.
0: Greg, where did you where did you find out about this movie? Did you watch the uh, the rejected cartoons first and then fall in love with them and then sort of follow this man's career, or was was it kind of no? The reverse? So
1: I was just on Netflix one day. Mike, my, my friend was moving back into his dorm, and I offered him to... Like, I was just there hanging out, and I was offering to help him unpack stuff. He's like, no, I got it. So I was like, all right, well, I guess I'll just pull something up on Netflix for us to watch. And then I randomly just saw this. I was like, oh, it's a stick figure. It's called It's Such a Beautiful Day. It's 62 minutes. I have no idea what this is about, but play. And then (laughs) an hour later, I was like, holy fuck. My whole (laughs) world just got turned upside down. I'm going to die one day.
0: Was it was that like a like a real um, eye opener for you? Have you seen anything before this that has dealt with uh, existentialism in this in this sort of morose way?
1: No, I have not. <laughs> that was definitely yeah an eye opener for sure. <laughs> Especially because yeah, and I had never seen rejected, so it was only later that I was like looking into Don Hertzfeld's other stuff, and I figured out he had a YouTube channel, and then. I clicked on rejected not knowing what it was and i watched it and i was like oh i've heard different parts of this quoted so much over the years i yeah that makes sense that this is a thing but i'm also surprised that i never discovered it before that moment it should also be noted that this man is not responsible for any of the pop tarts commercials that you saw in 2005 or 2006 because there was a series of animated pop tarts commercials that literally just aped off his style directly from Rejected. Like, they figured it was generic enough that he couldn't copyright it, and therefore they could just basically steal it. So if you've ever seen, like, the little pencil-drawing cartoon characters of, like, the little girl and the dog and, like, another guy with, like, weird patchy hair, not Don Hertzfeld. Legally, there's nothing he can do about it except just shout out to the crowds, I did not make these Pop-Tarts commercials. And he even points out in like his text commentary for that short, he's like, I think anyone that's actually seen Rejected would understand how anti-commercial I am. And I didn't just sell out to, who? what is it, Post, whoever makes Pop-Tarts? It's probably
0: General Mills.
1: Oh, maybe. I don't know.
0: <laughs> I'm a big Pop-Tarts guy, so I should know that.
1: So that's a great way to start off our discussion of this movie is uh, Pop-Tarts. And to be fair, I still eat Pop-Tarts. They're tasty. But anytime snack and I remember seeing those commercials on like Nickelodeon or something back when they were a thing and again I, know, I didn't put two and two together until he was refuting this rumor that he was responsible for
0: them. I remember that uh, that commercial on Nickelodeon too where like the guy's eating the pop tart and then his anus starts bleeding and he's like screaming and everyone's dancing it's right. really out of place for like you know kids TV stations but uh, you know, is what it is they're they, I mean, they pushing the boundaries with uh, Red and Stimpy so figured without logical next step
1: Exactly. And I was going to say, like, it's basically like if Itchy and Scratchy was a real show. Yes. Which I'm, I'm surprised that never actually got its own, like, spinoff. You think that Fox at least once would have been like, we're going to fund 13 episodes of Itchy and Scratchy. Or do you think they were self-aware enough to be like, well, the whole point of it is that it's stupid and vulgar <laughs> and it ro- it rots children's minds?
0: It could have been. I mean, there was a Itchy and Scratchy comic book series.
1: Yeah, I, okay.
0: I guess that's... I don't know if that... Maybe that maybe that did bad, and then they were like... Well, yeah, because
1: isn't the whole idea is that it's like slapstick animation? It's not as funny when it's
0: still frames. Yeah, no, it definitely lost some of its... Whatever it has. Its charm, I guess you could say. But uh, I, I remember reading the comic books when I was a kid, and I, I just liked it because they were, like, gory. It was, like, the only reason that I found any interest in Itchy and Scratch. I didn't, you know, I didn't get the fucking... I didn't get the... The subtext when I was a kid that this is, you know, right. what kids are watching. I like, I fell right into it. I was like, why don't they show more of that? I want to see more violence.
1: Well, speaking of gore, there is a surprising amount. I wouldn't say there's a lot, but there is some well-animated pencil gore in this
0: movie. Yeah, there's there a, is.
1: There's a loop of a wrestler's head getting split open that he's <laughs> watching on TV. And I was just like, wow, that is very well-animated blood.
0: And I actually... Like, as I said, I made notes while I was watching this movie, which was incredibly hard because of the breakneck speed that it plays at. But I have a note about that scene in in particular, because, you know, we started off this podcast having kind of like kind of a central theme. I don't know if you can call it a theme, but there was this connecting fiber, you know, that was Animal Collective. And mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever had this thought before, Greg, but that scene like, the audio that's playing with the loop of that guy's head busting open and, like, him screaming, and then there's, like, this digital, like, staticky, like, noises that are just happening in the background. It literally sounds like a song off of Dance Manatee. And there's a fucking poster of a manatee in the background.
1: Oh, wow, you're <laughs> right. I was gonna say Oddsack when you were well, getting it, to it,
0: the there's conclusion. some conclusion. there's some parts of this that are totally, like, odd sack, and part of me thinks, like, I guess the shorts would have come out before Oddsack came out.
1: So I can I can actually, I have the timeline right okay. here. I, I bought the Blu-ray to this film because I'm such a, I love it so much. Die hard. And it came with a little booklet of like stills and like photos from the stop motion animation that appeared in the movie. Like, like still life, but it, in a like quasi animated way. And then, like, little sketches of, like, the production of certain scenes. I'm showing Jordan right now on the oh, camera. Oh, yeah, there it is. So, he also provided the years. So, Everything Will Be Okay is the first short came out in 2006, which is when Odd Sack started production. I Am So Proud of You came out in 2008 while they were in the middle of production. And then the third one came out in 2011 after it was done and released.
0: So So, this thing was
1: side by side. <laughs> it's possible that Danny Perez being the weird artsy filmmaker that he is, saw these shorts at a film festival and it partially inspired his style. But I think Danny Perez is also just insane enough as is that he doesn't need to harp on the not Pop-Tart guy.
0: These guys both came to these wacky conclusions on their own, I think.
1: Right. So I actually wanted to ask you... What did you make of this movie never having seen it before because this is I think it's like my fourth or fifth time watching it
0: well I you know like I didn't watch any of the shorts this was like I watched the whole thing as a feature film and I, I don't know that like I think that it makes so much sense watching it as a feature film I you know I, I mean I guess like whatever state of it you see is probably the one that you'd probably connect to the most but I can't even really imagine it as being like three separate things because they're so interconnected. But uh, I, I liked it. Yeah, I, I thought. Um, you know what I thought? This is basically Bo is Afraid. Yeah, you know, and, and it's l- like
1: a more. It's like if Bo is Afraid was like more of a uh, like visual nightmare. Yes. In spots, like there are bits of that movie that kind of have a similar vibe. Well, the third, but the third act or the the
0: third short is like, it's that whole scene from Bo is Afraid where he's you know goes into the play in the middle of the forest. And like it's like, you know, you will do this, you will have three sons, you will do this, you will wander around. It's like the whole third act is literally the narrator being like, and then you will do this, and then you will
1: Yeah, actually you're right. Because after i had seen Bo is Afraid, I think afterwards I was reminded of this movie, specifically because of that ending and how like they project this like ideal end of life scenario or like just life timeline in general. Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, yeah, I think it's a it's like "Bo is Afraid" in in the sense that that you know the the final act definitely hits some of the same beats as the final act of "Bo is Afraid." They kind of have everything onward from that bit in the forest during the the play performance thing, but also like just the uh, the idea of like the unre- unreliable narrator is like you know very much the the case with "Bo is Afraid" and with "It's Such a Beautiful Day." Like, the the movie starts off where you're kind of like, okay, okay, like, this is, I'm getting a lot of information, like, very quickly, but, okay, it makes sense. And and a lot of it's kind of relatable at the beginning, because it's, like, mundane shit, right? Like, you know, just going to the grocery store and being, like, particular about what, you know, produce you're picking up because of whatever neuroses you have. You don't want the crotch-level produce. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like, I, you know... I go for produce that's like buried under because I don't like the idea that people are probably touching the stuff at the very top. I've never thought about the crotch level thing, but it makes sense now that I hear it out loud. Now you're gonna be doubly paranoid. I'll be doubly when you paranoid. Pick out a mango. <laughs> exactly. So it's like it works because it's it is relatable to some degree, even though it is easy to identify. Like, wow, this guy has a lot of like, you know, neuroses about his day to day life. And then I think it's just, it starts to go kind of really crazy when it's, when you're like, oh, and then you spend all night like burying bodies and you're like, whoa, wait, wait a minute, what? And then it's like jumps to the next day. And then th- things become like, it's almost like the facsimile of the facsimile effect where things start to get a little different and a little like, a little weirder and maybe disconnected as, as things go on, even though it is almost like a loop that we're seeing this guy in. Yeah.
1: Stylistically, it kind of reminds me of like Mr. Robot. And that that same, yeah, the unreliable narrator way, but also like, uh, yeah, that's actually an aspect of the movie that I never noticed before this rewatch was because there is so much information packed into like every minute of the movie, it's easy to miss stuff. Mm -hmm. And this time I watched it with subtitles. There's a line where when he's in the hospital and the doctor's like explaining his illness to him, it's essentially talking about how when people are this sort of mentally ill, their brain creates fictional scenarios and explanations to try to cope with what they're dealing with or try to explain it in some way. And so there are, like, little vignettes, narrative vignettes, of, like, old family members from his past and other stuff that, you know, I think is initially presented as the narrator stating it, like, I don't know, is prima facie the right phrase? Am I just trying to get fancy with Latin to... I have... match up with your use of facsimile <laughs>
0: i have no idea if that's the right word Let's... but the
1: the narrator like they're they present stuff to you that initially you're taking at face value as like okay they're explaining the lore of his family and his character background to maybe mm-hmm. try to explain his mental illness but then he basically re- it's either hinted at or like half revealed that like you know bill could have also just been making all of this up yeah as a way to cope with his mental illness and like try to find some sort of reason like genetically as to why he's afflicted like this.
0: It's pretty interesting because it's like as the viewer it's just like you said you think when you're seeing this stuff like oh this is why he's the way he is. But really it's the opposite like the way he is is why that story is being told. Cuz when I'm like seeing it's like oh he had a, he had a, you know a half brother named Randall who has metal hook arms and like ran off into the ocean scream what was he screaming boona or something boon 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 and then just he ram- wanted
1: to fly like the bird and then that itself is like tragically sad yes but then yeah it, it's like you were saying like i think you were getting to i don't want to take yeah. words out of your mouth but basically what you were saying is mm-hmm. like later on it's sort of revealed that that might not have even been a thing it might have just been just something some weird... that
0: Bill remembered. Yes, like a, a fictitious memory to help him cope with why he was... Maybe
1: he's a replicant and like <laughs> a Blade Runner is going to come and kill him if he escapes from the prison colony off-, off Earth. And they implanted false memories in him to make him think he was human and not realize he was a replicant. And Or maybe... It's open for
0: interpretation.
1: I just want to rewatch Blade <laughs> Runner and...
0: <laughs> this is in the Blade Runner universe. This is actually a Ridley it Scott is.
1: movie. This is actually the movie that society fell apart because of, because everyone saw it and they were so depressed that they had to go
0: have uh, holographic anime waifus. Which will be the future, trust me. Have I have I, have I I told you about my, my distaste for Blade Runner before? No,
1: but you know what? <laughs> Let's save it, because I'm not prepared to be upset today any more than the discussion of this movie would lead me to be. Okay, fine. We'll put it on the back burner. Now I'm going to be giving you the stink eye for the rest of the podcast <laughs> just because you brought that up. All right. But um, anyway, back to Bill. This movie is, as Jay Bauman would say, although in this case I'm using it unironically, borderline experimental, if not just actually experimental. It's it's like people talk about like the Spider-Verse movies pushing the medium of film like, you watch this fucking movie? <laughs> it makes Spider-Verse look like you know kids playing with their action figures. Like, this actually pushes the form of animation to places I didn't think it was possible to do. Like, I cannot imagine how long this must have taken to edit, especially if it was shot on 35mm film. I don't know if there was a digital intermediary process or anything like that, because I think part of what makes this movie so interesting and intriguing is that a lot of the -the behind-the-scenes stuff is, like, sort of secretive. That's not to say that it doesn't exist. But it's not like advertised as much as the films themselves. That's like you got to go looking for that kind of stuff,
0: isn't it? Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Greg. Isn't it? Wasn't it shot like there was this kind of almost like um like a stand, like a like an antique kind of uh, stand that wasn't really being used in cinema anymore, and, and like it you could connect the thirty-five millimeter camera into it and then kind of use the the base of that as like an area to put in like animation so effectively like he was stop motioning the whole thing
1: kind of it was like so because of the way that this film is presented with like the little circular vignettes and stuff Mm -hmm. essentially what Don was doing was actually let me just read the booklet this would be the perfect time for me to read my little handy dandy let's hear it from the man himself so this is going to be his perspective of the making of all three of these shorts but it will in long answer this specific question that we're bringing up So, starts off with, everything will be okay. Don says, Bill first appeared in a few strange comic strips I drew from my website around 1999. Not much happened in them, but there seemed to be something in there. I liked how the strips didn't have punchlines and mostly just followed Bill around doing ordinary things. When I started to figure out the first movie, I had a lot of trouble cracking it. I kept thinking of the story in comic strip panels, and it didn't seem to want to translate to animation. The writing was sort of clogged up and uninteresting until the day I got this idea to split up the screen within the camera, and suddenly I was looking at panels again, and everything just clicked, and the writing came flooding out. It's a pretty straightforward effect, each little window of animation is individually photographed, in separate camera exposures, through little holes I tore in scraps of black construction paper, placed on a platform just beneath the camera lens. I'd expose one area of the frame with something, close the camera, and rewind the film, Shoot another area of the frame through a different hole, and so on. When the holes zip around or open and close, it's just stop motion animation on a very tiny scale. So over the past six years of working on these films, the floor of the studio has been constantly littered with piles and piles of scraps of black construction paper, like some depressed little art kids room. That's he wrote that, depressed little kids art room. Is uh I didn't that's not I'm not ad living.
0: I be- I believe it. I believe it. So the second
1: short is called I Am So Proud of You, and he says, I think this one's my favorite. Traditionally, the second parts of trilogies have a unique ability to just happily sail off into some really weird and dark places, and it was fun to plunge deeper into the rabbit hole. I even got to set up a cliffhanger. While working on this one, I had some vague ideas and notes about what might eventually happen in Chapter 3, but I found myself slowly cannibalizing it all and stuffing everything I had into this movie instead. The ending to this was even a very early idea of how I thought the whole trilogy might end someday. So when I was finally finished, I wound up with sort of nothing left over for chapter 3. I'd begun work on chapter 2 immediately after finishing the first one, and really needed to take a break from Bill, before going straight into what was next. So in 2009, I took some time away from it all to go blow off steam and make a cartoon about a baby being pulled out of someone's face. Okay, so the third short, It's Such a Beautiful Day, which is also the name of the feature film version. He says, In hindsight, it's probably kind of dumb to set out making a trilogy without quite knowing yet where exactly the third one is going to go. I had some film left over from Chapter 2, and I knew Bill was probably going to wake up in a hospital, so in August 2008, I shot about two minutes of experimental things for the opening that I knew I'd need. That film was then put in a closet, unwatched for several months. When I was ready to circle the movie in earnest a year later, I tried not to think about the pressure of a final chapter and approached it like any other short film. Figure out a lot as I go, and sort of see what happens. It's easy to forget now that all three chapters were originally released in theaters as short films years apart, so it was always important for them to be able to stand alone as individuals. They needed to enrich each other, but not totally need each other. When I later edited the three of them together in 2012 for the first time, almost as an afterthought, I was genuinely surprised to see how well the story played as a seamless whole because it wasn't always thought of that way. Bill's story constantly pushed and pulled me creatively and technically in directions that were always new and surprising. And for that, I'm really grateful. I hope you have a good experience with him too. And then a little signature. So that's what the director had to say about. There you go. So that should answer your question. That answers all the questions about the photography. I mean, just reading that, as like on paper already is super fascinating. And then you watch it in action and it's just like, it's really hard to like, I think describe what makes this movie so visually interesting. It's one of those movies where you just kind of have to watch it to like fully understand why it's so acclaimed specifically mm-hmm. when it comes to like how it's presented with the, you know, there's like stroke. If, okay. If you're prone to seizures, you should probably just be aware that this movie has strobing effects even if you're not. <laughs> For a reason, it's not just there to give people seizures, but, you know, just be aware there's a lot visually going on in this movie. So there's like a lot of quick cuts and stuff, but then there's also, like we were talking about earlier, with the like overlapping dialogue where you were comparing it to a Dance Manatee song. I was actually thinking it was more kind of like the. um, Did you watch Inside the Bo Burnham special? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did. So you remember the one where he's analyzing his unpaid intern? 45 second song but then like every time the reaction video ends it just begins another a tinier window of him reacting to the reactions and so like by the time you get to the four layers of him talking (laughs) that's like what some of the scenes in this movie are like Mm -hmm. and they really like let you wallow in the like i don't want to say cognitive dissonance but like the uh what's the word i'm thinking of uh cacophony of all these different like noises and sounds and but really, I think it's there to like illustrate what Bill is experiencing in his head. And I think that's what makes the presentation of the movie so interesting, is because it's not explicitly Bill's POV, and it's not mm-hmm. explicitly the narrator explaining Bill's, you know, day. It's kind of a mishmash of the two. And that's kind of what Don was saying: was that this movie is very freeform in terms of like structuring and animation, but because of the, you know, thematic and loose narrative threads that you're able to follow it's able to take it from the beginning to end and i don't know if anyone even him could have predicted that this movie ends the way that it does like I, <laughs> you can sort of say like you know oh well if, I, if you watch breaking bad he's either gonna go to jail or get killed you know and so obviously when he dies in the finale everyone goes oh obviously it was that you know it was never not gonna end like that
0: spoiler alert
1: right whatever <laughs> <laughs> it's been 10 years fuck you <laughs> And so, of course, when you see a movie about a guy whose brain is disintegrating from its, you know, mental illness that is being afflicted on it, you can obviously sort of conclude that he's going to die at the end of the movie. And then it's kind of a Schrodinger's ending where Mm -hmm. it's like he probably did die. But then the like narrative ending that we get as the viewer is, you know, he doesn't die. He lives on literally until the stars and the earth and everything like disintegrate. He lives every possible life that he could on Earth before it, it, you know, gets swallowed by the sun or whatever. And then he basically just walks among the stars until, like, it's just nothing. And it just... It's like this very beautiful poetic thing, but I think if you're going to take it literally, you're not experiencing the movie right. I'm not going to tell someone how to experience (laughs) art correctly or not, but I think this is one of those where you you, you can interpret it in a lot of different ways, I guess, is
0: what I'm trying to get at. Totally. And if, if you take it literally, you'll be frustrated. It's just the same as, like, Bo is Afraid, because things won't make logical sense. You'll be, like, watching and be like, well, why is this happening? That, that would never happen. But yeah, it's it's. I think it's, it's done very, very masterfully in, in many ways. I mean, outside of just the actual, like, production, you know, that seems, like, hellishly tedious, the story is actually, like, and that's why I kind of said earlier that I like the idea of it all being one piece and not the three disjointed ones because it feels more complete and more kind of circular because it's like there is that, um, that moment at the beginning where Bill's talking to his, his girlfriend and saying that he wants to be like launched into space when he dies. And uh, like, if that doesn't work, he just wants his head to be in space. And then there's like various, scenes throughout the movie where his neck just like elongates and his head goes into space and then in the end he does end up in space
1: well there's also that quick cut at the end of the first short where they just cut to a rocket ship floating through space with his head like in it
0: yeah yeah so it's like his head's always like in space you know and and that's kind of wait where he wants to be in a sense like that's kind of like his his goal almost it's like once he's dead he wants to be floating through space and it's funny that you know i'm a little bit of tangent here because i i definitely while greg gave me the great idea to get extremely high for this film when i watched it for the first time i uh, naturally you know had a lot of like stoner moments while i was watching it but i always tell people you know that when i die i want to be launched into space like i've always said that and it comes up all the time it's a conversation i have every day for some reason but, um, like, my whole idea is, like, it, it makes sense. I don't understand why more people don't think about jettisoning themselves, like, off into space when they die. Because, A, it doesn't take up all the space on the planet that regular corpses do. And, B, space, right? It's, like, infinite in, you know, literal space and time. So, it's, like, you just float forever. And that also means, like, infinite possibilities. So you know you, you launch off into space you, it's a vacuum so you're not going to decompose you just fucking hang out in space forever for eternity and at some point who knows maybe you wake up some ancient civil, some alien civilization has revived you and now you become their god or oh,
1: interesting it's like an inverse area 51
0: yes or or the more likely scenario is you become a lab rat and you get like experimented on and tortured basically well you're dead at that point Well, I mean, I don't know, maybe they revive you somehow, they have the technology, and you wake up, and you're just screaming in agony as they, like, pour different, you know, potions on top of you, but either way... Then you're like, I'd rather be in a cemetery on on Earth. You know what, though? Why the hell not? Why the hell not, you know? If, if I woke up and saw that, at least it'd be interesting for like a, a split second. It'd be Holy shit. Aliens exist. Well, I'm on a different planet. My, my plan worked. Oh God. I'm being like experimented on. Well,
1: Maybe they're like the aliens from this movie where they're like the, they have like the light source as their head and then just these right. two very long like appendages. Yes. That they used could to be. walk and touch.
0: Could but. be. But anyway, like I, you know, was, was, I think about that a lot. And so when it happened in the movie, I was like, oh shit there you go there's and then and then you know that kind of coincided with my sort of stonery thought about you know being having corpses launched into space was that it is infinite possibilities. So like in the end you know him living out every possible life it, it kind of makes sense in that in that in that realm of infinite and endless possibilities. I think also like the movie you know it I think two two of the main themes is, like it's existentialism but it's also like solipsism. So it's like, it's just, it's really hard for Bill to really have any grasp of existence beyond himself, right?
1: Yeah. I I guess my brain was, I was going to respond to your point, but then my brain was like, wait, what does solipsism mean?
0: (laughs) It means that you can't like really um, prove any, anything is real outside of your own, kind of like your own bubble of, of things that you can sense and and tell is real.
1: So you're saying like, Like atheism or agnosticism are like a solipsistic belief.
0: I think it's more tied in with existentialism, where it's just kind of like you know, you you are, to some degree, aware that you exist, but can you really prove anybody else does?
1: Oh, okay. So more like the Truman Show. (laughs) (laughs) I don't understand philosophical concepts. I just know things I've seen in movies.
0: But I, I do think that the whole thing, you know, obviously it's like mental illness is uh, is a huge part of it. But I think it's like it's one of those things. I, I, I did do a little bit of like reading of IMDb reviews after I watched the movie to see what other people thought of it, because it's, you know, like you said, if you do take it literally, it's going to be a little jarring and, and you're probably going to be left a little frustrated. But I so I was like, you know, a movie like this, it's it's not a movie that I think people that aren't looking for some sort of, I don't know something philosophical if they're not looking for that and they if watch they're like movie,
1: me and they just click on something random on netflix <laughs> because it, it look, hey it's 62 minutes long it's animated i'll yeah. check it out and if they're not like me and it like doesn't immediately click and yeah. resonate like they'll probably it just turn it
0: off right so it's like so that it does seem like that is the majority of the case i mean it's got a 100 percent rating on rotten tomatoes and like a lot of the reviews on imdb are like 10 out of 10 people love it but one review that i did find kind of funny was like there was an 8 out of 10 and the guy was pissed off because and i mean you know you can't be that pissed off he's giving an 8 out of 10 is still pretty high praise but he was his complaint was that he already had these thoughts (laughs) before he watched the movie and i thought that's so fucking funny that someone would bother like you know what that was a good movie but i already thought about that shit i already like I already thought about like existential crises and like you know what if we're yeah we're really just a bunch of brains floating around and the exter- external portions of the human body are just kind of superfluous when when really it's the the central s- cerebellum that is uh you know so the what real is, is that jealousy
1: that I don't I had all these thoughts it's, but I didn't spend six years making it into an incredibly yeah. laborious and it's just it's like it's like
0: film. boo I wanted to learn I wanted to think about something I already didn't think about I already thought about that shit. How dare
1: anyone else have, I'm the main character of reality, (laughs) only I
0: can have original thoughts. Exactly. So I found that kind of funny because I I also, you know, I'm at the time of the recording of this podcast, I'm 36 years old, so I too have gone through the motions of the existential crisis, the existential dread, the existential terror that continues to go on day to day in human existence. So, you know, for me, it wasn't like, a, oh, my God, wow, yeah, everything is doom and gloom, and we have unanswered questions, and whoa, like, reality is based on memory, and if you don't remember shit right, then, like, your whole fucking sense of reality is fucked. I've had these thoughts before. It doesn't mean I can't enjoy a movie where they're kind of dissecting that. And I also had to think about the fact that, like, you know, these days we got Rick and Morty and shit that kind of, you know, goes into that that territory all the time. Back in 2012 when this came out, or even earlier when the shorts came out wasn't so commonplace, I think, for people to be having these conversations. I could really see like someone, especially if the first one came out in, in two thousand six. Like I was in university in two thousand six and I remember watching like not not these movies, but like other movies that were thought provoking and, you know, you like sit down with your with your friends, and be like, well, fuck man. You really think about this shit? You ever really think about life?
1: Yeah, I was actually I think that <laughs> if there were if there was gonna be like a Criticism of this movie, and maybe it could be a surface level criticism, is that it does seem like if you don't believe that the filmmaker is earnestly engaging with these themes and pontifications, that it could come across as like a I am 14 and this is deep mm. kind of mentality. But I think you can, that's honestly just a lazy criticism that you can attach to anything that tries to tackle themes and topics and concepts that are outside the norm of like good versus evil mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So you you can call Fight Club pretentious, you can call Bo is Afraid pretentious, you can call this movie pretentious, but I think it really is just like, how much of it is just you not engaging with the movie, maybe in the way that the filmmaker intended, or is it just like, you have certain expectations when you engage with art, and if something challenges you outside of your comfort zone, how much is that going to affect your rating or your experience with the film? And I think this is a movie that definitely asks a lot of its audience. Like, I've tried to recommend this movie to other people that are neurodivergent and have their own, you know, trauma and stuff that could come up at any moment. And when you turn on a movie like this within, like, the first five or ten minutes, yeah, it might not be the uh, easiest uh, viewing experience, especially if you have, like, you know, audio... Like sensory, what do you call it?
0: Photosensitivity.
1: Yeah, photosensitivity, or like you know, like when there's too many sounds around. I know there's like a fan. Is it called audio
0: sensitivity? Because that'd be perfect.
1: No, it's 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 something, but I don't know what it is, and I'm going to move on.
0: (laughs) I I think it's for the best. (laughs) But yes, I get what you're saying. It it could be extremely overwhelming. I mean, even for anybody, it's obviously like an overload of everything on purpose to give you that that almost roller coaster ride experience of what it's like to be Bill. You know? It's it's always like yeah. uncomfortable.
1: And I guess what I was trying to get at is I think that the filmmaker I think a lot of Don Hertzfeld is in Bill, or at mm-hmm. least in his thoughts and experiences. I'm not here to say that this animator is out here struggling with a debilitating mental and physical illness on a regular basis. I think there's a certain level of it that is Conjured up for the sake of storytelling. Mm -hmm. But I think when it comes to, yeah, the more existential, like you will only ever get older themes of the movie, I think a lot of that just comes from Don Hertzfeld and the human condition that he's experienced. So Mm -hmm. that's, I think, what really makes this movie feel so real and earnest is that it does seem to come from a very genuine place. And the fact that it is written, directed, animated, partially scored, and narrated by... Did I already say narrated? Whatever. Clearly, I'm not as smart as Don Hertzfeldt, but the point <laughs> I'm trying to make is this is one filmmaker's complete, unique vision. Mm-hmm. And there is just something about it seeing executed so... I mean, is flawlessly, I don't even think is a word you can use because there are intentional flaws in the film to help, like like, heighten the moment or highlight a certain emotion or, you know. So
0: yeah, it's true. I think that like also the um to add to what you're saying, where like you know it is obviously a lot of don his persona is is this film or some extension of it, but I think that it 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 works so well outside of the context of it just being him because I think it is ultimately relatable, and whether or not he has all the same things as Bill, where it's like you know he's got some horrible mental and physical disability we all kind of do to some degree because like that 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 disability is dealing with life and it's like the questions that are arise in life and the kind of realization the the self-awareness of life is is like to some degree a mental illness that we all have to kind of like deal with in life to varying degrees some right. people well, it's like you know
1: his mental illness in specific is like the catalyst for him tackling these questions and quandaries mm-hmm. while simultaneously you know lapsing in and out of consciousness d- depending on where he's at like on the street or in the hospital or something sure
0: like it gets it gets c- quite extreme for bill but i mean you know if you look at just kind of the the basic stuff that <laughs> i think
1: the a- way that i can sort of summate this point is like the movie starts from like a sympathetic perspective where you bill is the everyman and you can place yourself mm-hmm. in his shoes because of how the regular things in his life seem to be But then it turns into a more empathetic perspective where you may not be experiencing the same things as him, but because it's presented in this like raw emotional and like very human way, Mm -hmm. which is kind of ironic considering that he's just a stick figure. It really helps the audience like get on the same page. And yeah, like just that empathy is what helps carry the rest of the, the story. And, you know, I think even if... Say someone out there hasn't thought of these things before, and they have, you know, a different perspective than the guy that left an 8 out of 10 on IMDb, (laughs) and this is the first time that they've ever had these quandaries posited, you know, I think this will impact their life in a much bigger way than someone that's like, oh, yeah, I've read books, Mm -hmm. you know, so I'm not saying, like, show this to your 12-year-old, because they already (laughs) get plenty of Holocaust stuff in school, but... You know, I think it's it's definitely, like, maybe it's not a movie for everyone, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. But I think the more people that see it, the better. Because I don't think it's going to change society. But I think it's a very important piece of art that has a very unique and specific point of view. And, I mean, also just the technical accomplishment of the filmmaking itself is something that I think more people should just be aware of. I mean, it's crazy the amount of work that probably went into this. Like, mm-hmm. I, again, Greg's bringing up his documentary. Here we go. Everyone <laughs> take a drink for the musician in a filmmaker drinking game, which I am going to write out one day. I've, I've been editing all these episodes and I could very easily make a drinking game. I love it. Uh, Jordan just took a sip of his beer. Nobody saw it for her. I'm <laughs> the only but, person playing the game. Yeah, he, he tipped his drink to me. But the amount of work that I put into this documentary, I feel like is dwarfed by the amount of work that probably went into It's Such a Beautiful Day or the three shorts individually. Just from the pure scale of like everything that you see is hand-drawn or or hand-manipulated in some way and captured in camera. I feel like that's a point that I was bringing up to Jordan numerous times before we recorded this <laughs> that I haven't straight up just set out yet. Almost everything you see, I feel like it is actually everything you see is captured within the camera, and it combines, like, various forms of photography. Like, there's the, you know, studio-lit animation, but then there's also, like, still life with a low frame rate that's sort of meant to, like, imitate movement, but also sort of works as, like, an animation loop. There's a really interesting shift in the visual style of this movie. Around two-thirds of the way in, around when Bill gets his diagnosis that he doesn't have much longer to live, it suddenly changes from this, like, white backdrop, animated, like easel type of animation and it becomes more of like just like still life photography and then also like like hybrid animation a little bit mm-hmm. like there's that scene where the guy picking up the phone and putting it back in i still have no idea how the fuck he did that was that a <laughs> cgi phone was where did they take individual pictures did they rotoscope out someone picking up the phone and replace it with a stick figure it's <clears throat> hard it's know. crazy <laughs> i have no idea how these things were accomplished
0: does it say anything about that in the book
1: no, it doesn't. Everything I you read, you read the entire book. Yeah, it. yeah. All this this little pamphlet, right? But no, yeah. That's again. That's what is so fascinating about this film is that he hasn't. There's no three hour behind the scenes featurette saying here's how I made this movie. It's really just you know he gives you little peeks and glimpses at the the mystery box <laughs> that is how he made this movie. And you know, hats off to Don Hertzfeld because. This is one of my all-time favorite movies. I think I immediately gave this movie a 10 out of 10. And every time I rewatch it, it just reinforces that rating because it is just so, like, expertly concocted and executed. It's just, like, I'm going to say it. It's the Internet's favorite word. It is an underrated gym, Jordan. (laughs) That's what I believe. This movie is, like... I think, you know, there's, like, that letterboxed A24 film bro culture Mm -hmm. that exists within, like, millennials and Gen Z right now. Sure. But, like, who the fuck's talking about this movie? Like, this is what those people should be into. And I don't want this to be, like, oh, this movie should get popular and then lose whatever authenticity or, like, whatever made it special in the first place. But I also think that it is underappreciated in terms of, like, not just the greatest animated films of all time, but the greatest films of all time. Mm -hmm. And when you see someone like Phil Lord or Guillermo del Toro on Twitter repeatedly chanting that animation is filmmaking or animation is cinema, this is what they mean. Mm -hmm. Shit like this is like, this is like cinema first animation second, which again, just the fact that he had this animation background and sort of approached it in such an unconventional way, I think really comes across in the final product. Where it is presented in this very unconventional format and structure, but you're still able it's like kinda like how a David Lynch film is like you can follow an emotion or a thread, but it won't necessarily be A, B, C, D, E, F G. If anything, there's like a tiny little bit of memento in this. Sure. When the it's kind of a really nice day sequence when he steps out of his apartment, walks around the block, and then has like a lapse in memory, and then mm-hmm. does it a few more times before it's like you get it. He's living on a loop. And it's probably like dementia or Alzheimer's or something, because I don't think, it, like I said, I don't think it's just one thing that's mm-hmm. afflicting Bill. I think it's like a number of things, and the movie doesn't explicitly say one way or the other if it's it comes from his family or if it's just some freak occurrence that just happened to target him, or if it is like, and they don't even really get into like destiny or anything like that, like pre predetermined. Pre, again, I'm not smart, but what like there's. Some concept out there where, like, they say that everything is pre- a predestination. It's called, I guess, is the it's word I was thinking. Fate. Ah, eh, well, I like the longer <laughs> words that are more than four letters. Uh, predestination, by the way, great Ethan Hawk Sarah Snook movie. Talk For about those of a you twist! That are fans of Succession, go watch that movie. I don't know what it is about Australians, but they love putting twists in their movies. Like every ten minutes, there's a new twist. Is, and M. M. You're like, is M Night? Is M You don't get tired Australian? of Australian.
0: No, but you, you, you consider this a 10 out of 10. What, what other movies, Greg, out of curiosity are a 10 out of 10 for you?
1: Now, honestly, not a lot, but if you would like, I'll pull up my ratings on IMDb right now. Please. And give you some other examples. I think this is the only animated film I've ever rated a 10 out of 10. Do you have letterboxd? I don't, cause I'm not a peasant. Also, I started <laughs> IMDb 11 years ago or 12, 13 now that it's 2024, I'm not going to start over. I have a 1,000... I have 1,200 ratings on IMDb. Oh I'm not going to transfer <laughs> them all by hand. Okay. So other movies I've given a 10 out of 10 mm-hmm. are The Lighthouse. Uh, Bled Blood Simple, the, the first Coen Brothers movie. Okay. Uncut Gems. Mm-hmm. Nice. The Truman Show. Okay. Annihilation, which I think might be mm-hmm. controversial, but that, that controversial. movie I think is a 10 out of 10. 10 even out of 10. Yeah, see, it's the thing good. with my movie taste is that if a movie has like a 6.8 on imdb but like a higher critic rating (laughs) i'm like this is probably going to be a really good movie (laughs) and it's just (laughs) not going to be a conventional one that will divide a lot of audiences which surprises me that it's such a beautiful day as an 8 out of 10 on imdb or even higher 8.5 i
0: think when i looked i think it was 8.5 but that's funny though that you say that because i always find that on pitchfork the albums that are like 7.5 tend to be my favorite albums it's almost like a given if I see an album and it's like a 7.5, like fuck, I'm probably gonna like that. And I turn I, I you know throw it on and I'm like, damn, this is fucking awesome.
1: But yeah, like the Lord of the Rings trilogy, Whiplash, Predestination, There Will Be Blood, Shape of Water. The inherent vice and Big Lebowski ten out of ten ratings, I think, come only from my experience of only watching them incredibly stoned. <laughs> so I like perfectly get the mindset of the director or of the protagonist, and I'm like, yeah, this is perfect. Have you ever tried to read the book Inherent Vice? No, but I've heard that it's a it's weird.
0: It's unreadable. Re- I, is it like Requiem for a Dream unreadable? It's it's so confusing. like the movie is confusing. The book is like imp like you need to I don't know, you need to <laughs> not think like a human or something to understand it cuz like it's it's almost like a like a an ongoing like you know, thousand page like riddle. I started reading it, like, I think I got like almost halfway through, and then I spilt like my bong, and the bong water soaked it all through, and it was just like an act of the gods. It was like, this book is going to be demolished, because you're not fucking understanding anything that's happening in this shit anyway, so just let like, it get washed away in the, in the, the tides and of the bong And that's like the water. point of the
1: movie, is that <laughs> Joaquin Phoenix's character has no
0: idea what's happening the whole time, and the plot yes. resolves itself. <laughs> exactly, and so it, it was life imitating art. Um, yeah, I
1: really don't uh, – I surprisingly had more 10 out of 10 ratings than I thought, but yeah. What
0: you, would what'd you give uh, There Will Be Blood?
1: 10 out of 10, brother. That was my next one, I Solid. was gonna say. Solid, But, oh, I guess – okay. Actually, there is another animated film on my 10 out of 10 ratings. It's uh, Waking Life by Richard mm. Linklater. Yeah, that's good. Are you familiar? You're also a stoner that likes psychedelics, so I'm assuming – You've seen it at one point in your life. And movies. You like movies, psychedelics, and weed.
0: Greg, Waking Life was my, it's such a beautiful day. <laughs> okay, there you go. Because that came out in, like, what, 2003, 2004? 2001. Oh, damn, okay. Yeah. I saw it in 2003 or 2004. And that was one of those ones where it was like, you know, young me was like, whoa, whoa, whoa there's wow, more to really life. really makes you think. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think that one definitely has more of a I am 14 and this is deep aspect to it for sure. But I think it's also more mature than slacker, which I think is very much like a young man's film Mm. for sure. But that in itself is its own like headache of production ambition. Like, Oh, we're going to take all this live action DV footage and literally draw over every single frame. (laughs) Yes. (laughs)
0: You know what I would give it's such a beautiful day out of ten? Tell me. I give it an eight because I already had these thoughts. God because of damn it. Waking life. <laughs> but actually though, I, I I think I would give it a nine out of ten. I think that it's great. I, I don't know why I'm so hesitant to give it a ten out of ten. I think it's just I'm always kind of like it's pretty rare to get get a ten out of ten for me. I, I think like There will be blood. I'm pretty sure that would be a ten out of ten for me. But, yeah, I really did like it, but I guess it's, like, you know, it, it is, like, pretty intense, so it's it going to throw some people away. It's just like Animal Collective, you know? It's, like, right. there, there's there's so much to it if you're willing to take the time to unpackage it or you have the patience and stuff or you're okay with, like, the more abrasive sides of it. And it's so much more rewarding when you are able to kind of, you know, keep your shit together enough to, like, digest this. And I'm, I'm talking about both Animal Collective and... It's such a beautiful day. So right. I think that it, it is it is great. It is great. But for whatever reason, I, I, I do feel like I, I'm going to go with a nine. Well, yeah.
1: like Animal Collective's projects, their music, I would say that a repeat viewing may change mm-hmm. your perspective and your opinion, and you might raise the rating – just if you have more time to soak it in or pick up on other details that you didn't notice before, like listening to animal collective music. So, but a nine out of 10, I'll take it. It's, uh, <laughs> you know, it's not, not everyone's going to have the, you know, like perfect experience the first time watching any film, but I feel like I did just like completely get soaked into it. Mm-hmm. And it's has forever been like something. I just go back to when I think about like, Maybe not movies that inspired me, but just movies that really stuck with me. Mm-hmm. And I'll always take the opportunity to recommend it, even if it's like against my better judgment to recommend it to a specific person or a specific type of person. I think it, because it is just such a, like, it had such an emotional impact on me and as it continues to have a resonance that carries throughout my life, I think it's just. Like, you know, when people ask me, like, what's my favorite film? It's like, well, shit, there's, like, hundreds of those. Mm-hmm. But I think if I had to really, like, take time and... and Anytime someone asks me what's my favorite movie, I'm going to go to my top rated on IMDb and be like, oh, this movie, this movie, I gave a 10. These, like, others, I gave nines. You know, that's generally a pretty good way to gauge it. But... I guess I could probably just call this my favorite animated film of all time, and stick to that. I mean, again, Spider Verse is pretty good, but <laughs> it's like comparing apples with like you know, uh,
0: like those candy apples at the carnival.
1: No, not even that. It's like it's like comparing apples with like
0: uh, like a Big Mac, like marbles. Oh. <laughs> you know what I mean? I thought you were gonna go with like a popular food that's just kinda like you bite
1: into one, you're gonna get a nice juicy, soft, crunchy experience, and then the other you're gonna take a bite on it and immediately be like, Oh fuck, I broke a tooth. Mm-hmm. But then you learn about why you broke your tooth and why you shouldn't do and you should live your life to the fullest instead of chewing on marbles. Look, I think I used all my other neurons for analyzing this movie. <laughs> so I think if I end in a shitty analogy, I'll be okay.
0: It's forgiven. It's forgiven. I, I I think it's fair to say that this movie impacted you and left an impression that, uh, you know, will stick with you for the rest of your life. It's the same way I feel about Captain Ron. So, um...
1: <laughs> well, this is why, actually, the reason I recommended this is because you did Lords of Chaos last month. And I was like, <laughs> man, that's really fucked up. Like, you want to see what I think is one of the most fucked up things I've ever seen? <laughs> but it's also beautiful. And I think it's it's a very... I feel like we haven't pointed out that this movie is, like, surprisingly funny. Like It is. It, yeah, yeah. Because it, the dark, they were based comedy. on, like, comics, comic mm-hmm. strips. I think the humor from that translates into the movie. But it, it's also just, like, I think that's just Don Hertzfeld's style, is that yeah. if something ever gets too heavy, he can find a way to find some sort of, like, weird, twisted humor in a moment. Like, when... There's nothing funny at all about the scene where Bill is in his hospital room and the guy that's on the other side of the curtain has like a Mm. little speech box and the sentence that he always says is, I am in pain. Like, that's horrible. But the way it's presented, you're like, it's kind of funny. It's
0: kind (laughs) of funny. They're having this
1: awkward conversation on the other side of the room and then you just hear, I am in pain. It's kind of funny. It's it's (laughs) that very, very dark humor. And it just, it finds a way to make you laugh in moments where you don't think that you will. Mm-hmm. And actually, I guess we could tie we could wrap that all around to that thing we were talking about earlier with the uh the crotch fruit, the produce at the grocery store. Cuz there's later a scene where he's having a nightmare and all these Everyone's... people have like bug heads and he's like and they're
0: rubbing <laughs> their crotches their, are a a lot large somehow. Yeah, they're
1: bacteria-ridden crotches all over the goddamn produce. <laughs> and it's just like lines like that just come out of nowhere. And like, mm-hmm. just like you're like, I really shouldn't be laughing right now, but damn it, that's funny. So, <laughs> it is. You know what? That's how you make a movie. You you challenge I, the viewer and you, you put them kids. in a position they they don't expect. If you know, it's actually kind of weird timing for this because The Curse is currently airing on Showtime, which hmm. is a Nathan Fielder Benny Safdie co-production, and I feel like the the tone is somewhat kind of similar to like uncut gems or Mm -hmm. like a like a darker like safety movie like like i said just like tone at least in terms of it being dark but then finding these like pockets of humor in these Mm -hmm. moments where you don't expect to be like like taken aback with the weirdness of a moment Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and yeah this movie i feel like not everyone will respond to this movie the same way but i'm glad that stuff like this exists and that we can enjoy it in the little time that we have on this earth. I'm glad that we exist in a very small pocket of time in the grand spectrum of the universe's existence that we can enjoy this very specifically made piece of art because, you know, come a million years from now, none of it's going to matter. We're not going to be here. This movie is going to be gone. You know, these cities are going to be flattened by nuclear explosions and the, the, plants will start growing out of the dirt and you know life will reset until eventually the sun swallows the earth so you know what i'm trying to say so- is jordan you should just give this a 10 out of 10 anyway because it's not like <laughs> you have that much more time to uh think about it
0: did we mention uh t- did we did we say happy new year to our listeners yet or oh, should I guess we just not. add that in right now after Yeah, all happy that? new year.
1: <laughs> We're all going to die. Happy new year.
0: One step closer to the grave, everybody. We uh we, we like to remind everyone. And before we wrap this up, I, I just I just want to quickly go through through a couple little little notes that I, I put here on my phone while I was watching it. Okay, well These I thought quick. I
1: had the perfect ending there with my uh universe speech, but it, uh, it was pretty good, but you go didn't know ahead. that I was gonna say I guess something I'm else not after so on
0: Hertzfeld after all. <laughs> the pipe is leaking. The, the pipe, pipe is leaking is
1: leaking
0: my anus is bleeding that's got to be a knot that's got to be a knot
1: he probably came up with those around the same time
0: must have everybody dies by getting hit by a train
1: yes okay i was trying to i i that thought came up earlier i was trying to find a way to fit it into the conversation yes uh, every time one of his family members is like horribly like crippled by some disease or you know have some sort of mental illness that they're dealing with and they're like in a horrible place you think, oh, that's how they're going to die, and then the narrator goes, and then they were hit by a train. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like <laughs> it's like an Arrested Development running gag.
0: <laughs> yeah. Which, I don't know, what's the significance of that? I, I think it's
1: know. just chaos. I think is really it's all that, it just boils down to the chaos of the universe. Like, you expect life to go one way, and then it kind of ties into the theme of the whole movie. Bill didn't think he was going to just get sidelined by his own brain, you know? That's true. That's true.
0: His train of thought, perhaps.
1: Oh, shit. Oh. Actually, so, that wasn't uh, that good. I take it back. Yeah, I know.
0: Sound <laughs> editing.
1: Yes, the sound editing and mixing in this. Yeah. Fantastic.
0: Absolutely amazing.
1: I mean, this movie, I don't even think it was nominated for any like major awards. Yeah, the most it got was the Village Voice Film Poll, fourth place for Best
0: Animated Film. <laughs> It's like some community news newsletter or something. Well, yeah, you know, it's like some like <laughs> yeah New York local publication,
1: but it's not. Okay. If it were, first of all, it should have been nominated for Academy Awards. Although, <clears throat> I think as time goes on, in this ever-expanding void of existence that we live in, the Oscars have started to sort of reveal themselves as very cynical and like it's not really about the merit of the art or the talent of the creator. It's about clout and connections Mm. and politics so you know to say oh this movie should have been nominated for an oscar it's like well it's really arbitrary at that point Mm. however i think it would have gotten a more mainstream audience or even just acceptance from more than just like a niche audience like it it would have more of a cultural footprint than hey have you heard about this movie which isn't to dog on the movie itself i think it, that's just the way that it goes whenever you're an independent mm. animation filmmaker. Like, I Rejected, I think, was nominated for an Oscar. And maybe it won. I, I can't remember. But, yeah. So, that all being said, it, sh- it should have been nominated for Best <laughs> Animated Film. It should have won. And it should have also been nominated in one Best Editing, Best sound, sound Editing and Mixing. Back when they were separate mm. categories. Now it's just Best Sound. You can't but, hear it, but I'm rolling my eyes. I can hear it. It's just... T- yeah. I mean, the the... Photography and the animation is one thing, but a big part of animation is the sound.
0: hmm And especially here, like the those those like freak out scenes and stuff where there's so much going on, like the blending of the music,
1: awesome. the sound effects, the narrator often just overlapping, like cutting himself off.
0: Totally. For for fans of dense, you know, uh, soundscapes like fans of Animal Collective tend to be. This is a fucking dream come true. Like actually kind of regretted not, not watching it on headphones.
1: I regret not asking geologists about this movie.
0: <laughs> hey, it's never too late. You know, it's I was true. also thinking that, you know, like, speaking of documentaries, you, you documentarian, you. Oh, take a drink. You, that 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 three-hour... Um, <laughs> hang on, let me have this drink before I get, continue. Ah, that three-hour documentary that we all want from Don Hertzfeld about this movie you should make it why don't you reach out to him
1: uh, <laughs> i mean that's kind of like <laughs> that's like being like hey i want to make a documentary about catcher in the rye i'm gonna go to uh that guy's house what's his name jd salinger i'm gonna go to jd salinger's yeah. house and ask him if he wants to participate
0: you know what you gotta think about the end result you don't know, have to think about the, uh, the the trials and tribulations of getting there. You just have to think about the end result. And trust me, Greg, if, if what you're looking for is to get this movie a wider platform for more people to see it, then you know what? You should make this documentary.
1: Fair. But not everyone <laughs> is as emotionally open and available as Travis Bowles. But if they were, Fair. the world would be a much better place. That's all I got to say. Yeah.
0: Who knows? Okay, my last thing, my last note before we conclude this very well-timed podcast is that I know this doesn't make any sense, and it would go against everything that the movie stands for, but I thought it would be really funny if when it ended, It's a Beautiful Day by U2 would start playing for the end credits.
1: It maybe might have if he could afford it.
0: I think he should have just done it It, it, like that. That (laughs) that would have fit his, his style and it would have been so funny. I would have squirted milk out of my nose if uh, that song played at the end. But since it didn't, I think maybe we should end this podcast with it's a beautiful day. Just right into it. Man, we almost got away with
1: monetizing this thing. Okay, fine. (laughs) Actually, I think our regular outro music fits the tone of this movie perfectly well, Jordan. So,
0: (laughs) God damn it. You know what? The the listener
1: will hear right now as soon as we're done giving our outro. We've reached the conclusion of this discussion. Everyone, please go watch this movie. And for the record, if you're looking for this movie, check bitterfilms.com, which is Don Hertzfeld's website. It links to the Vimeo where this movie, you can rent it or you can buy it. On demand, which you should do, or buy one of the Blu-rays if they're available. And if they're not, follow them on Twitter until it is. And also, real quick, before we wrap this up, we forgot to mention that as we were preparing for this podcast, Don Hertzfeld himself announced his next feature film called Me. Mm, true. And it's amazing because it's he's put out three short films uh, in the World of Tomorrow series in between It's Such a Beautiful Day and Now. So this is like his first like full on feature. I think he said it's going to be a musical. At least that's how he hinted at it from the very beginning. So we really don't know what's in store, but it's an exciting time to be a Don Hertzfeld fan. So everyone go watch this movie and thank you for listening. We will see you next month. Anything to add, Jordan?
0: Nothing at all. Watch this movie. It was miserable in the most beautiful way.
1: Well, that's a, I, I like that. That's a nice little way to end it. All right, thanks for listening, y'all. Take it easy. <laughs>